Welcome to another episode of At Home with Leaders, this series that is part of the Leaders Performance Podcast. Its aim is to unearth stories and insights from the top people within high performance and what they're doing as sport returns to our lives and edges back to some sort of new normality. I'm Matthew Stone, Senior Product Manager here at the Leaders Performance Institute, and I'd like to say hello again to all the returning listeners and say a big welcome to those who are listening for the first time. It's a pleasure to have you with us. We're delighted that this podcast is supported by Football Manager, the global hit computer simulation. Now, you'll know from previous episodes that like many people my age, I'm personally a huge fan of the game. But more importantly, Football Manager is built on the largest and most comprehensive database in world football, featuring more than 350,000 active players and staff across 51 countries and compiled by more than 1,300 scouts. In today's data age, the Football Manager data is used by professional clubs at all levels to help identify talent to optimise their recruitment process. To find out more, email data at footballmanager.com. In a moment, we'll be diving into a conversation with Damien Camoli discussing his new project in French football, the changing front office leadership landscape and the importance of organisational alignment. Unsurprisingly, all aspects of return to play have been popular topics of discussion among our members recently. This was apparent during our virtual Leaders Meet Total High Performance event on the 8th and 9th of July, where we heard from leaders at the San Antonio Spurs, Philadelphia Eagles, English Institute of Sport, Google, Atlanta Falcons, Anaheim Ducks, Deloitte and UFC. If you'd like to find out more about our events, content, virtual learning and networking by becoming a member of our unrivaled network of the world's high performance community that challenges the thinking and shares insights spanning all sports and all aspects of performance, then visit leadersinsport.com forward slash performance. Now on to today's episode. As always, it's a pleasure to have my co-host from California alongside me once again, founder and CEO of Gaines Group, it's Mr. Steve Gira. How are you in LA this morning, Steve? Hey Matt, good to uh, good to be with you again. Um, we're doing well, uh, you know. Came, coming up on the uh, on the you know the thick of summer, um, we just celebrated the Fourth of July here. Um, if uh, if anyone across the the globe is wondering what Fourth of July looks like with uh, with mass um, home fireworks, uh, I encourage you to do some googling and take a look at what our our our, our fair city looked like here in Los Angeles over the weekend. Uh, it was quite the show. Um, but excited to uh, to talk uh, with our guest today and about some of the fireworks that are going on over in uh, Europe. Absolutely. Well, happy 4th of July to you over there. Um, but yeah, our guest today is someone I've been very fortunate to know for a number of years and someone who's actually very pivotal in the emergence on the leaders in the sport performance space. It's newly appointed president of Toulouse FC in France. It's Damien Camodian. Bonjour, Damien. How are you today? Good, thank you. Thanks for having me on, uh, Matt, and good to speak to you, Stephen. How is, uh, how is France? What's the kind of state of play there? We are a situation, you know, we are the only big five league in Europe not playing football and, and we stopped, uh, the league was stopped uh, on the 15th of March. So trying to play catch up, really, we are watching football on TV, but it's not French football, which on one one hand is a good thing because it gives us time to prepare for, for next season. On the other hand, it's not such a good thing because I think from a PR perspective, it's it's, it's been quite negative. And from a financial perspective, it's been very, very, uh, I mean, it's been a significant issue because of the loss of income, uh, notably around TV money. Um, so it's, it's extremely challenging. But at the same time, because we are arriving to a new club, it gives us a kind of advantage because we, we've got a bit of time to, to prepare for the season and, and look forward to what we want to implement. 
Absolutely. And usually in the last few months, people have probably been slightly less busy during lockdown, but maybe it's been the opposite for you. I mean, congratulations on obviously the exciting news in, in, in Toulouse. How did that come about and, and how excited are you for that? Thank you. I mean, it came about quite, I will say, a few months ago, if not years, because I've been talking and in touch with the people from Redbird Capital Partners, which is the firm based in New York that has bought the club in Toulouse. So we've had, you know, exchange of phone calls and emails over the years. And when I left Fenerbahce mid-January this year, uh, when I resigned from my position, they, they they got in touch a couple of days later and they said, look, the, the timing might be good because we are very, very keen in buying in, into football club in Europe and we would like to talk to you about it. So we had several meetings on both sides of the pond. I met them in uh, in London and then uh, we had three or four meetings around the Super Bowl week uh, in Miami and then further meetings uh, on the West Coast as well. We exchanged ideas and opinion, and they did a very thorough work onto the market of European soccer, football. They looked at more than 70 clubs before deciding to, to buy Toulouse. So they were pretty much in a good place, and they, they just you know, asked my opinion about a few things and different countries and different setup into different football clubs. And I told them that if they wanted to come into the French market, Toulouse was the perfect one because got great stadium, it's the fourth biggest city in France, very young city, very dynamic, uh, with a, a very young demographic, 100,000 students, uh, university students in the city, a club that needed some rebuild doing, and but also, uh, which is something Redbird wanted to focus on, a very strong youth development. Uh, you know, if you could look across Europe, there are players such as Sissoko from Spurs, Capoue from Watford, Ben Yedder from Monaco, Job from uh, West Ham, Todibo at Barcelona. All those players are alumni of Toulouse Academy. So in terms of youth development, they've always been very strong. So when you put everything together, it became like the perfect uh, football club to, to invest into. You know, when you when you think about, you know, taking this job, you know, um, it sounds like there was a lot of attractive things to it. Um, how would you how would you describe it? You know, when 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 there's a change of ownership and then there's a change of leadership at clubs, a lot of times we describe it as, oh, this is a rebuilding um, you know, job. This is a um, a cultural continuation job. Um, obviously, the clubs got probably some some rebuilding to do, I guess. But, um, you know, how, how would you describe this job and, and what are you looking forward to in the um, in the first 90 days of of being being on the job there? So it's interesting you, you mentioned that, Steve, because one of the things, one of the topics we discussed at Leaders and whether it's at the P8 or, or the main conference for many, many years was, you know, what impact should that a leader have in the first 90 days or 100 days? And I was, I keep reminding, reminding me myself about, about this aspect. You know, I need to make a difference in the first 90 days. What's my plan? What I should be acting on straight away? What can I leave on the side for a minute, but on the back burner for a minute, but not forget it at the same time? So it's been quite a, an obsession for my part to try to be effective straight away and to try to put the club into the right tracks. Obviously, it's the club. The club has been quite successful for the last 17 years. Played qualification of Champions League, played in Europe a few times, and then the last four or five years stayed at quite, you know, in the top division. Uh, Sometimes, you know, in a miraculous way, 
sometimes not so miraculous, but he was always on, on, on the edge. And last year, the season was the worst season in the history of French professional football uh, for uh, uh, the Toulouse season. So you, when you look at that from the outside and you come in, you think, okay, there are a lot of young talent players in the team. Is how do we complement those players to make sure that to build to rebuild a competitive team? That's for on the pitch. We also know that there is some some you know when you come out of a failure like this, that's such a bad season, 13, 13 points in twenty eight games, uh, and you think okay, we've got some mental work to do, some a psychological approach to have with players and staff, backroom staff. People, people in the offices as well, because everybody's devastated with 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 the season. And the other aspect about building or rebuilding is not so much that what we've tried to do, looking at all the good things that have been done over the years, like you know, quality stadium, like a very good youth development, good young players promoted in the team, and how can we build on that and make the best out of it. And I'm 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 quite obsessed with constantly improving. Uh, it's what you know Dave Bresfold will call the uh, marginal gains, and I've got an obsession with that, and I've had it for many many years. So I, I'm trying to push people and say, you know, we are not that bad. Uh, we had a terrible season, but we're not that bad. And if we try to improve a little bit every day, we can rebuild that thing. I think having a positive approach is key because we arrive in a kind of a trauma and making people feel even more miserable well, is definitely not the right way to approach things. And so, so Damien, yeah, so there's, there's a lot, lot to discuss here and a lot to unpack, I think, um, which is, which is going to be fascinating, but, you know, going back to how you started, um, you know, you know, that piece there, you talked a little bit about leaders um, and your involvement with uh, the organization. And then, you know, some of the people that you've, uh, spoken to in the past, Dave Brailsford with Marginal Gains, um, you know, and all the other folks that you, you've kind of shared information with over the years. Um, you know, how are you personally preparing for this role? You know, is there anything that you're doing specifically to make sure that you're, you're hitting the ground running? If I, if I can start with something that will sound very, I was about to say childish, it's not childish, but simple. I tried to, I, during the, 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 the the lockdown, I tried to put myself into <laughs> the best physical and fitness condition I could put, my, put myself into. Uh, when I left Turkey, I left a, an environment that was incredibly, uh, uh, how can I say, which was, you know, where you live, you live in the pressure massively on, you know, on 20 days, 24 seven from the press, from the media, from people within the club, from the, polit- from the politici- from politicians. And I left, I was, you know, physically not in the best shape. So I thought if I get into a new job, I need to be physically in a very good shape. Uh, because if I'm in a very good shape physically, I will end up being in a good shape mentally. So I know it sounds very simple and it's probably not the answer you expected. But that, that was one of the ways for me to prepare for this job or for, for the next job after Fenerbahce. Uh, so that's point one. And I will say I've, uh, during the lockdown, I went through a lot of my, all my, my previous experiences, what I've learned, what I should have done better. I've gone through a lot of notes I've taken over the years about people listening to people, you know, attending conferences, visiting, visiting different sports organizations. And then I, I, I tried to put all that together and I say, okay, when I get to Toulouse or into the new job, 
this is what I'm going to do from, you know, the first week, the second week, the third week, the fourth week. This is the, the mistakes I've made in the past. This is the things I didn't do in the past, but I should have done or I wanted to, but I didn't have the, the, the opportunity to, to do it. And that's certainly something I want to do uh, in, my, in, my, in my next job. So it was just like I'm almost prepared for a template for the first 90 or 100 days for the next job. Uh, and I try to relate to, the, to this template on the, almost a daily basis since I've been at Toulouse. Damien, you're, you're bringing a lot of different experiences and a lot of different knowledge um, from across sport um, into Toulouse um, and into this new role. Um, and it sounds like it's almost like a perfect um, you know, storm for you to a certain degree because you have a brand new ownership group, um, you have a project that you could really sink your teeth into and really affect uh, personally. But then, you know, there are always, I, I feel like, you know, having, having worked in Europe for the last um, 10 years and then, you know, for the previous 10 years before that, having worked in the NFL and worked in the NBA, I, I've always felt like as much as we share information cross, you know, cross ocean, cross border, cross culture, um, a lot of times like there's a, there is a real resistance to actually acknowledge that you can take um, and, and, you know, a lot of different pieces and then bolt them into uh, a sport that is not exactly the same, right? A lot of times like the, the, and that's where you get like the status quo folks, you know, essentially just saying, no, 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 this is, this is European football thoughts and ideas and things from the NFL won't necessarily work here because they just don't necessarily fit. Um, the sport's not the same. And so as much as we enjoy sometimes like learning, um, it's really tough to actually then take those learnings and apply. Your intent is to take all this knowledge that you've gained over the last, you know, two decades of your, of your life and, and really apply it. Um, how are you going to kind of, um, I guess, you know, let me try and phrase this the best way I can. How are you going to ensure that you, you give yourself the best um, kind of chances for success? A lot of times, because, you know, you, you could come up against some resistance. How are, you, how are you thinking about ensuring your success there? Part of it is, and it's a very good question, by the way, part of it is in bringing new people, new staff with me, people who know how I work, people who know my personality and my personal values. I know we are on the same wavelength and they've been able to help me implement these new culture or new values or, or new methods of, of working within the club. Part of it is being able to bring gradually things that people buy into. So if we want, I'm not talking about culture change here, but if we wanted to implement things that people are really alien to, and we do too much too early with too many people and too many ideas, I think that will be, well, we will be bound for failure. I think step by step, we need to, to pick the ideas we want to implement, which are the most important ones, which in a way, <clears throat> which ones in a way are the most, that's the easiest to implement to start with, and then slowly implement the other ideas once we get people to buy in and they say, well, actually, you know, we, we never did this before, but this works and this works and this works. So there are a lot of low hanging fruits that we need to take advantage of and then slowly shift the culture and, well, first of all, surely shift the, the, way, the way the club is going to work, the things we can implement from different sports or, di or business or, or whatever, or different experiences that we had in the past, and then get people 
if we have early wins, we will be able to show to people, actually, you remember when we told you that could work, actually it worked. So we, you need to trust us on that as well. And because they will trust us, they will embrace what we are bringing into. So up to now, I've, I've had several discussions at academy level, youth development level. Uh, and there is a fantastic network of universities in Toulouse. And because there is Airburst and other airline factories here, we, and, and schools for pilots, you know, we could tap into this, uh, this area. You know, can we take our players to a flight simulator and see how we can de develop their peripheral vision? They are sports science universities that are one of the, some of the best in Europe and certainly some of the best in France. Can we do a partnership with them? Can they help us uh, improve? All those aspects, I can feel that people are very, very excited about them. And I think we could make, we could make a difference early on, on on implementing things that people can say, well, they are making a difference. That makes a massive difference in my job. That makes a massive difference on the players. These are improved, you know, the, the way we, we develop players by 10% or 15% or whatever it is. And, and by doing this, slowly but surely, we will shift it and then we make sure people actually buy into what we want to bring in. And I'm, I'm quite convinced, to be honest with you, I, I think that it's not going to be the hardest part of the job because people are, are, are really excited about it and want to learn and want to open up to new, to new things. It sounds uh, incredibly forward thinking, which, which you know, doesn't surprise me. And if, if we pivot slightly away from maybe Toulouse specifically, but you know, you've, you've obviously held different roles within football from being a scout to technical director, director of football, sporting director. And like you said earlier, this is the, the first role kind of in this new role as, as president. I mean, how, how do you think these front office type roles have developed um, within football as, as you've seen over your career over the last 10, 15 years? Because there hasn't always been a, a happy marriage, if you will, with those types of roles alongside the coaching staff within some organisations. So, so how, how do you think that structure behind the coaching team is, is developed in the, in the last kind of decade or so? I think the biggest change is about, uh, uh, and as you rightly said, it's, it's about coaching staff and coaches and, and head coaches and managers understanding the benefit of that structure. So as reluctant as people were in maybe, you know, up to, to maybe 10, 15 years ago. I remember my, my, first, my first press conference when I joined Tottenham as a sporting director, the first question from the journalist was, do you think this sporting director head coach model will work in the Premier League? And I, I said in 10 years time or 15 years time, every club will have that structure. And we are not there, but almost there, if you, if you think about it. And even below in, in the lower divisions as well, in, in England, it is the case. The biggest takeaway is really that head coaches, coaches have understood this, the, the structure. Ownership, some ownership now, groups will not have a structure, will not run the club without that type of structure, which is a massive plus. So there is a much better understanding of coaches. There is a much better understanding of owners. There is a much better understanding of, of the, 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 the public in general and, and the media. So that's probably the biggest change. I will say. Then other things that have changed massively over the years is obviously the, the job has changed a lot in terms of the, all the performance side. So when I, when I started at Tottenham, we had, we had one analyst. We went from one to three in the first three or four months. We had one fitness coach, you know, and now you've got four or five fitness coach. You've got 20 to 25 analysts and 
five masters and five physios and, and two or three doctors, etc. So the whole aspect around performance has changed massively, uh, which is a challenge when in, in, in sporting director position or director football position. It's a, it's a challenge in terms of how to manage this. And you, you have all, almost, you have to become a specialized, you have to become a specialist in, in more than before, I think in sports science, in performance world, uh, because you need to understand what you need as a sporting director. You need to understand the people you are bringing in. You know, how do you know they are good or not good? The curiosity and the learning path and learning process that you need to go through in, in this position, in those positions, is huge because if you don't try, if you don't say or try to stay on the edge of things, on the top of things, constantly by constantly le learning, you might fall behind, and it's just the thought of this makes me <laughs> cringe, <laughs> and because I hate, I will hate so much to fall behind in anything. Uh, not only you know, and you talk about data and analytics and all these these aspects. So that the, the job has widened massively from what used to be, you know, focus on recruitment, do a bit of trans of transfer negotiation, contract negotiations. Uh, and a bit of academy work now is, is expanded so much. Damien, I think one thing that I'm really curious about are your thoughts on how do you think sporting staff, you know, at Toulouse specifically, I guess, but then we honestly just in the greater picture of um, European sports and football, how is that going to change over the course of the next two or three years? If, we, if, 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 uh, if, the, if the full season doesn't play next year, um, you know, all of these clubs are going to continue to be underneath um, some financial distress. And, uh, and, and there's probably going to be a little bit of a, um, a pullback on the amount of resource and capability that um, teams um, potentially have at their disposal. So at that point, it becomes like a question of like, what's really the most important stuff that you can kind of focus on? Um, how, are you, how are you at least thinking about what happens if, um, in, uh, you know, if you have to pull back on staff or, or maybe just the, the bigger, broader question is, is, is how do you think European football is going to um, change in the front office roles that are available and that are actually being utilized um, as we kind of pull out of COVID? One of the restrictions we have to implement because of COVID is people working around the players. And, and very often, so the first few weeks for most of the clubs in Europe and still for some of us, it, it was that the players are coming in and then they go straight into the into onto the pitch and start working, and then back in, into their car and and they sh and then and they go home. Um, and then I was joking with some of the our performance staff and or, or medical staff, saying, you know, if after this we actually pick up less less injuries, you're gonna make you're gonna have a hard job selling to us how important you are in the club. Um, <laughs> exactly. And it, it was. Yeah, and it was obviously it was very ironic, but in in a way it was ironic, but there was some truth to it as well. So uh, to come back to your point, I think every ownership group around Europe and probably in the US as well is looking at what's essential, what's not essential. Are we going? I hear that a lot actually from in the performance space. I hear that a lot. People saying, you know, we are going towards a reduction of number of players per team. Uh, a reduction of staff per team. Some teams that you might have seen, whether it's in the US or, or in England, one of the first things they've done during COVID, the, during the lockdown, was to, to put scouts in furlough. 
which was very very strange to me because if you if you if you get rid of your scouts even on a temporary basis how can you prepare for the next season so it's difficult for me to tell you which areas of the club could be affected the most on the, on the, in in the performance side but i wouldn't be surprised if if there is some side effect to that if people actually turn around once we are out of this crisis turn around and ownership say actually you know what we probably overstaff and we need to do some some work into that but again I, i'm i'm going to struggle to say it, it will be the support staff it be the performance staff it be the medical staff or the scouting staff what i do fear is that there will be some cut into in, into scout, uh, staffing uh, into staff in the sports world as a whole going forward this this i'm quite convinced the approach we took in Toulouse, I, I took a slightly different approach, which was to say we've got 29 players in the team. We looked at the data and the last 12 teams that came, won promotion from, from the second division to the first division, 90% of the minutes were played by the 15 same players. So my approach to that was, well, if we are going to play all the time with almost all the same players, what are we doing with players number 22, 23, 25, 26, 28, 29? If we are paying them to play very few minutes of season, it's better if we promote young players from, from the academy uh, or from our reserve team and reinvest the money that we used to pay to players number 21 or 22 to 29 into the performance staff. So we took maybe a slightly different approach to say we need to reinforce our performance staff because maybe we could pick up less injuries, maybe we can improve scouting, maybe we can improve video analysis, maybe we can have a data scientist that's going to help us find a gem somewhere in Brazil, in South America from a scouting point of view. Maybe the data scientists can work with our head of performance and they can come up with ways to prevent injuries etc. So we are going to decrease the cost, but decrease the cost in the, in the, in, at squad level, I will say, the wage bill, but in order to become more efficient as a club, as a whole. Yeah, I think that does. I, I, I agree with you. I think one of the really interesting things, um, we're, we're in the process of actually looking at um, a data analytics tool for, uh, that, that we're going to acquire um, that uh, that, that does just that, that basically scales your scouting department um, and doesn't require them to, now you become more of a validation tool than you do in an actual um, scouting, you know, scouting department, right? And you really utilize like their analytical, their, their eyes for what their eyes are best at, which is not mass culling of, you know, all the different, you know, players that you could potentially put into buckets. The bucket's are already there. Now you can actually just use your your scouts eyes for, for really good validation. One more follow up on, on how you see European football and sport, maybe overall kind of, yeah. is there, is there anything else like in the back of your mind that has been like, you know, this could happen. And if this happens, you know, this could, this could be like a real kind of watershed moment for, for sport. And let me give you an example, like here in the U S one of the things that we're looking at um, down the barrel of is, is college athletics really struggling this next year. Um, mm -hmm. And if you go through two years of college athletics, really struggling, um, you know, university systems here will be underneath an enormous amount of threat. And then 
um, we could have, you know, we could have some catastrophic effects of, of basically, you know, tier three and tier two schools having to cancel their athletic departments or at least mm. cancel you know, a lot of sports. And so what, what, what are some of the big kind of blocks that you're looking at and that, you know, you're, you're a thinking man, I know that. And so what, what are some of the things that you're looking at the horizon that could potentially affect, um, not only, you know, the sport that you're, that you love so much and are, you know, currently working in, but maybe other sports over there in Europe. I think one 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 of the things that really worries me is the, the the we call it in France the pyramid. So if you look at the bottom of the pyramid, we've got two million players registered foot, soccer players in France, football players in France, and they are all developed and looked after by amateur clubs, football schools, football clubs, and who pay you know can pay a coach a, a, a licensed coach. 200 euros a month, 300 euros a month, up to 1,000 euros a month. And I think this pyramid that is so useful that developed, you know, the, some of the best players in the world. You know, France is, is reigning world champion. This pyramid could absolutely collapse uh, because of the financial effect of, of COVID-19 and of the, of the economical setbacks that will, that will follow COVID-19. And that worries me a lot because I'm thinking if we cannot welcome those kids when they are between the age of five and 12 and 13 into proper organized structure, amateur football clubs or amateur or, or soccer schools or football schools, then when, where are they going to develop? And that actually really, really worries me because there is no plan B. If those kids are not welcome and coached properly from the age of five until the age of 12, 13, 14, where the best ones are recruited by the best academies in the country, then there is no plan B. So that, that's one thing that could change significantly the landscape. If you look at it from a more UK perspective, there are a lot of clubs in the lower division that could go burst. You know, it's well documented. It's, 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 it's in the public domain, unfortunately. And that will affect also the pyramid. And there will be a kind of vacuum into the learning process if that happens. There will be a kind of vacuum of the learning process for young players that are being coached by qualified coaches who then will become unemployed. And that's a, that's a concern. That's really a concern for me. And it's probably the, the main one, actually, because, you know, whether TV rights increase by 5% or decrease by 5% or, or 15% or, 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 or 10% in the future at the very top level of the game, okay, it will be an issue, but we can solve it. But if the, the bottom of the, the pyramid is affected, if the whole process of producing young players and attracting young players into the game is affected, then you are looking at the 10, 15, 20 years impact that will affect the game over the long term, not only in terms of players, but also in terms of, play, of creating a new generation of fans. Because if a young player who plays in a small town or small village somewhere in Europe and his club disappears, you know, go burst for economical reasons, he's got no way to play football, maybe he will lose his appetite for football and we lose the next generation of fans. So I might sound a bit dramatic in the way I describe things, as you, you were, you sounded dramatic in, you know, talking about the, the college system and in, in CAA. Uh, structure, but that could have a massive impact on our sports going forward. Yeah, you you can obviously see that. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think we're in for an interesting. Uh, we're definitely in, in for an interesting uh, ride here over the next two or three years, and and there's going to be um, a lot of things to be worried about, but there's also going to be a lot of things that a lot of opportunity. You know, because you know, with 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 some of these large infrastructure, especially in youth sports, 
um, developments, I think we'll, we'll also have an opportunity to reconstruct some of those youth sports development models in, in ways that, you know, really benefit kids and really benefit, I think, the overall arching kind of sports that we, uh, we all love and play. Damien, this has been great. You know, I think we've, uh, we've, we've, uh, we've only got a few more questions for you. I know, you know, coming sure. back to how you've spent your time, aside from getting physically fit, um, which I think is great. I mean, that's like one of, it's one of the best answers anyone's given me about, you know, what they've been, how they've been spending their time. Um, but as you've been getting physically fit, maybe there's some things that you've been reading to, reading, uh, listening uh, to, or maybe watching. What have you been feeding your brain um, over the course? Of- <laughs> I'm very, I'm a very boring person. I'll, I'll feed my brain only with stuff that related to my job. I'm currently going through Kerry Evans' book. He's a psychologist of the uh, of the All Blacks, the, the New Zealand rugby team. It's mm-hmm. about managing managing pressure. It's an absolutely fascinating book, uh, and I've learned so much that I can use for myself. I can use in my job. I can, I can. You, we could use for players. Obviously, used it with the most successful team sports in the world, you know, throughout the history of sports, the history of sport, that's what the All Blacks are. So that's been very interesting. And I absolutely loved also Matthew Syed's uh, last book. I think it's called Diverse, Diverse Thinking. Uh, it's about diversity. It's a great book. It's something I've believed in, you know, over the years. I, I really put always an emphasis on the fact that, you know, for instance, in, in the scouting staff, having former players, having people who haven't played, having people who come from a different background in the management team of the club, having female people, female in the club at the very highest level, people from different origin, ethnicity. It's something that I've always focused on. And reading the book was like kind of enlightenment, thinking, you know, it's what I've been trying to do. And I know I'm walking on the right path and I want to do more of this. So those two books have been great uh, recently to read. In terms of watching, <laughs> to bring the rock down, this, on, on, on French TV, there was five or six episodes of real stories. So they interviewed people from the special forces and they said, OK, you've, you've gone through this operation. Tell us how you did it and how you planned for it and how you executed it. And it was fascinating to hear those people, you know, from real life telling this is how we prepare. This is how we reacted when we, we had to solve issues. This is how, uh, how we acted when, uh, when things didn't go the way we thought they would go. And obviously, it's constantly relating these experiences to what we do in sports. So th- that was a very interesting, that was something very interesting that I watched as well during, uh, during the pandemic and during the lockdown. But other than that, I'm very boring as a person. Everything is about football, my job, football, my job, football, my job. So I'm sorry if I cannot be more creative in my answer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Damien, I'll tell you what. Uh, boring and uh, the words boring and uh, Damien commonly do not um, collide in sentences <laughs> very often. So uh, Thank you. Uh, Thank you. But no, so that, uh, not at all. That's uh, but if, if, I can, if I can add one thing. Uh, yeah. Stephen and Matthew, one of the, my take on the lockdown is I was amazed, and, and it's not only for the lockdown, I think that's going to stay on. I hope it stays on. I was amazed to see how all of us in the performance world, we were all thriving to learn, and we were all looking to learn, connecting with people. So as soon as the lockdown started, I was in France, and I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to learn. 
during this whatever two months a month 60 days whatever it is i want to learn and i've done I've, I've wrote down a list of people i wanted to reach out to with specific topics so i rang a goalkeeper coach i said what has changed in your role, in your job, in your world in the last two years? And how do you see goalkeeper coaching going in the next five, in the next five years? I, I, I rang a sports scientist. I said, what has changed? What will change? I rang some data analytics companies. I said, tell me about the, the next products. Tell me what's coming on at the market in the next two or three years. I rang people I consider as mentors. What do you think about this? What do you think about that? And I had so many, and I attended a few conferences online. I spoke to a few conferences online as well. And then I said to people, reach out if you want help, if you want some advice, if you, you know, if I can help you, because I've been so privileged in life that people like Arsene Wenger, you know, took me under their wing and, and taught me everything, almost everything I know. And I always thought, I, I, you know, if I have an opportunity to give back to the sports community or to the education community or whatever community some of the things I've, I've learned I have to do it the number of people reach out and said what do you think about this I'm there in my career I've got a choice to make where should we go where should I go what choices you made in your career at the same point that I was in my career and I was amazed to see that it was like a you know this thirst for learning and for knowledge from the performance community that I've never seen before. Obviously, it's because we all had a lot of times in our end because we are all under lockdown. And, I, and But the difference is, I'm convinced this is going to stay. And I'm convinced that the performance community will, will the, the, the learn the, what we've learned from, from the lockdown is actually that we need to take time to learn, if that makes sense. And that, is, that has been very interesting things to see from my point of view. No, I can I completely agree, Damon. You know, we're fortunate to be in a position where we engage with a lot of the community and, and we've seen exactly what you're saying there. People are more curious, they're more, you know, uh, open to insights and actually just just uh, a lot more dialogue going on. So it's no, it's brilliant. Dave, it's been absolutely brilliant to talk to you. Steve, really appreciate your time as well. It's always early in LA when we speak to you because you like to get up and uh, do this at the start of the day. So so thanks for that. And, and Damien, from your perspective, always great to catch up. It feels like an absolute lifetime ago since we were sat in that restaurant in Charlotte, North Carolina, but it was only kind of three or four months ago. But hopefully we can do it uh, again before too long. But um, yeah, take care and best of luck with everything at Toulouse. Thank you. Thanks to both of you. Thanks, Damien. That's it for another episode. But if you've enjoyed these podcasts and you can find many more like it on the Leaders Content Hub, as well as on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your preferred platform. Check us out at leaders underscore insight on Twitter as we'll post all our content on there as well. Damon has only just started his role in Toulouse, but he's already signed him and his team up, become members of the Leaders Performance Institute. If you want to do the same and access content, virtual learning, events, and also engage with 700 members from 150 teams in 25 countries and 20 sports worldwide, then head over to leadersinsport.com forward slash performance to learn more about the home of total high performance. Thanks to our podcast sponsor, Football Manager, the global hit computer simulation. Like I said earlier on, in today's data age, Football Manager data is used by professional clubs at all levels in 51 countries and helps to identify talent to optimise the recruitment process for scouting teams around the world. To find out more, email data at footballmanager.com. Once again, thank you to John, Luke and all the content team behind the scenes for making this all possible. Hopefully you're all enjoying the conversations out there. Until next time, stay safe and keep thinking. Speak soon.